Welcome to Local Matters. I'm Caroline Moore, and today I am chatting with Executive Director of the Cookville Regional Medical Foundation, John Bell. John, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Caroline. Now, as the Executive Director, this is a busy time of year for you, right? Yes. It's it's always fundraising season, but, you know, the holiday season is, is officially kicking off soon, so we're in full gear right now. For those who aren't familiar, can you tell us a little bit about the foundation that you run? Sure. So the Cookville Regional uh, Medical Center Foundation is really focused on providing charitable aid to patients throughout the Upper Cumberland. And that's a, a pretty broad definition. Most of the families that we serve are going through a medical emergency of some kind or, uh, you know, an unforeseen accident, maybe an injury or, uh, you know, you get a life changing diagnosis and it can be very overwhelming very quickly. And for a lot of the residents of the Upper Cumberland, they just don't have the support system that they need to rally around them and to give them that support so they can walk through what can be months and months and months of, of you know, maybe it's ongoing uh, treatment or rehabilitation or some complex medical situation. So the foundation is able, thanks to very caring donors, uh, to step into that role and to rally around folks when they don't have that support network. And unfortunately, that's thousands of our friends and neighbors from across the Upper Cumberland every year. And these past two years have probably changed things even more between the pandemic and people not being able to leave their homes. How has your job changed in the past few years? Yeah, dramatic changes for everyone. I mean, everyone's experienced that, of course, but our world, like everybody's, changed a lot with COVID. And for a while, we just weren't getting the referrals that we typically get from many of the kind of specialized service lines at the hospital. Uh, some of those were uh, were tapered off or even closed, furloughed for a little while. And so we, we didn't get those. Uh, the two big ones for us are, are cancer and heart disease. Those didn't stop. We still got many of those. But some of our specialized rehabilitation um, uh, referrals stopped or, or, or tapered. But we saw a huge increase in our relationships with our other community partners. Um, so our health departments, our physicians' offices all across the Upper Cumberland, 14 counties, uh, our school systems and the nurses that they have there, um, our hospice providers, uh, we work with them in, in all 14 counties. So we saw these other relationships really grow substantially the last two years, and they've not gone down, and our typical referrals from the hospital have gone back to where they used to be. So now we're, we've just grown. And it's, it's a blessing to, you know, to grow those relationships and be able to help different patient groups that we weren't seeing before the pandemic. But now we're dealing with both those things coming back to a more normalized uh, rate. And so it, it should mean we'll help about 2,500 families this year uh, from about 14 counties of the Upper Cumberland and a few scattered from Kentucky, actually, and a few from outside that, that area in Tennessee as well. I didn't realize that your scope went beyond that. It does. Yeah, okay. it, it's, it's rare, but it does happen. Um, you know, at Cookville Regional, as a, as a regional hub, particularly for cancer care, um, we get folks from, from all across the state and from e even um, um, southern parts of, of Kentucky. When people realize they need help, are you or the foundation, are they the first group that they go to? Can you walk us through the process of what happens when a patient realizes, Usually hey, I need no. help? In fact, most of the time, the patient has no idea they're receiving help from us. Um, our referrals come typically from the healthcare provider who's already got the relationship with the patient. 
That way there's no need for us to go and sit down with them and play, let's answer 400 questions and really, you know, dig in. They already know all that stuff. So there's some, of course, some paperwork we have to do. Always. <laughs> there's always some of that kind of thing. So there are some some hoops that have to be jumped through, but oftentimes the providers have already done that. If they can vet the patient to ensure they're low income, to ensure that they have an immediate acute medical need of some kind, you know, they can't afford that piece of equipment that's too expensive or they can't afford their medication or they have these other things or that they're low income and they're facing a medical crisis or a diagnosis they can't deal with and they have, uh, you know, needs at home. It can be groceries. It can be uh, utilities or rent. Uh, Those kind of things are pretty typical, but oftentimes a provider already knows the answer to those four questions right off the top of their head and uh, they can fill that out for us and give it to us in about 15 minutes and we can process a request. So it can go very, very quickly, but we have to have the information from the provider. And the reason that's so important is they can make sure that the insurance has been covered, that they've already done everything they can to try to get somebody else to pay for it just in case it's covered somewhere. And then once they know that all those doors are closed, that's when we step in and say, you know what, you've tried, we've attempted to get payment as, as much as we can elsewhere. There's nowhere else to go that's when we can step in and jump in and say, let's use donated dollars. This situation really warrants the, the use of that. So when folks give to the foundation, I hope they, they feel assured that there is a pretty uh, in-depth process uh, and that we do uh, rely on these providers to make sure that the medical side is, is realistic and necessary. Do you ever get surprised by some of the needs that are here in the Upper Cumberland or perhaps people in certain situations that you don't normally see or realize when you're just out about in town, there's so many sides to the region that we're not aware of. Yeah. You know, all of us at some point in our life, either directly or or indirectly through a family member or close friend, we'll have somebody or a couple somebodies who will go through some just horrible thing, whether that's cancer or heart disease or a stroke or an injury of some kind or whatever horrible situation Mm -hmm. You know, it happens. That's that's part of life. But many of us are, are, are blessed, at least, that when that happens, your family comes together, your friends come together, and you make it through. You might be scraping by, but you make it through. And the thing that really shocks me is this. There are so many folks who literally have no one. Uh, many of them are seniors. Their families have passed, and they just do not have the family and uh, friend network around them to to walk with them. And it amazes me how many folks are alone where that home health visitor or that hospice provider is literally their only connection to the outside world. And they're stuck in their home or uh, just not getting any communication from anybody else. And that's just a, a lonely, sad situation. And that's a reality for hundreds and hundreds of, of folks that I didn't know it was nearly as common as it, as it really is. And so that one has been jarring. <laughs> and those are the cases that really uh, maybe touch us the most when we see them. You know, uh, you'll see some folks that terrible things will happen and all of a sudden, you know, boom, it's on social media. There's a GoFundMe site. There's people uh, all across the, the their hometown, wherever that may be, talking about what we can do to help. Everybody donate. Let's do this, that, or the other. And there's so many hundreds of other folks that don't have any of that. And they're, they're truly on their own. And so, um, you know, it's a real blessing for us, and it's a very humbling experience for us to be able to step in and say, we're going to help. 
we're going to use donations from people you've never met and you're never going to meet. You never have to say thank you, but we're going to apply those gifts and, and change your life and make sure that you have some comfort and some compassion sometimes during the last months of their lives. Is it hard for you to emotionally process all this? I mean, you're dealing with some pretty heavy stuff every single day. Are you able to separate it or uh, yeah, compartmentalize? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes not. Uh, it, it can be hard. The thing that, that keeps me just so amazed are the case managers and the, the often the home health workers and the hospice workers who go into these these people's lives in very intimate ways. You know, in some cases they're, they're going in their homes and they're helping them bathe. They're doing very basic things for them. Those workers amaze me that they can do that day in and day out for many different patients. And to do that in a professional but compassionate way is just very inspiring. So yes, it's, it's hard for us, but it always inspires me to say, you know what, I'm fine. I don't have any problems. These folks are the folks who are really amazing. <laughs> so no, it's, it's inspiring. feel humble to be a, play a small role in that process. We were just talking about how a lot of people have support systems. That's hitting me today. One of my friends in California just got diagnosed with breast cancer. Okay. She's yeah. 33 and she started a GoFundMe. And luckily a lot of people have come forward, but it makes me wonder how unique the charitable foundation is here. Yes. yes. It, she's out in California and it makes me wonder, does she have that? Or is this super unique to Cookville? It's a unique situation. Many, um, you know, most hospitals are owned by a conglomerate at this point. They belong to a regional uh, system of hospitals. And oftentimes they will have a foundation connected to those uh, hospital systems. But generally those foundations, um, We'll provide some aid, but they're more interested in fundraising for research grants and um, kind of the education side of, of, of medicine. Ours is truly focused on community need, and I think that is very unique. It's unique that we still have a community-owned hospital, first off, that doesn't have to make money for shareholders, so that's huge. And then it's very unique that we have a, a, a charitable foundation attached to that hospital whose mission isn't just to generate money for the hospital is to generate money for residents facing medical emergency. So I think that says a lot about the board of directors and the leadership of the hospital and the foundation, uh, that the focus isn't on just generating money. It's on what are you doing with it? What's your purpose? And our purpose is still serving the residents of the Upper Cumberland. So I'm proud of that, and I think it's a, it's a good direction for us, and I hope the community's proud of that as well. Just to clarify, when you raise money or you give money, to help these people out in need, is it just a check? How does that work exactly? Can you walk me through the process? Yeah, we, we don't move money directly to the patients. Um, I won't say never, 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 but nearly never. <laughs> <laughs> um, we pay third parties, so we will pay that bill for them okay. if they're fate if they need a, a, a utility bill or a rental uh, bill paid. We'll pay for the medicine for them. We'll pay for the medical equipment for them. So we'll step in and pay these, those expenses or we'll uh, find folks who can bring the things to them if they can't get out and do things for themselves. But it's not just a blank check. So it's not like we don't know what they're doing with that money. <laughs> we very specifically know what they're doing because we buy it for them in their name. Um, so it, it's a way uh, to keep us accountable and, and to make sure the money is spent how we uh, – um, 
how we and our donors wanted it spent in the first place. More with John Bell after the break. What's so important about shopping with locally owned businesses? When you shop local, your hard-earned dollars stay here in the community, helping to benefit your friends and neighbors, local schools, roads, and all aspects of community life. But what happens to my money if I spend it online or at a national chain store? In most cases, the profits go far away, out of state, corporate headquarters, or even overseas. It doesn't take any extra effort to shop local. Office Mart on South Jefferson and Cookville is your locally owned office furniture and supply store. For over 35 years, they've been proud to serve businesses in the Upper Cumberland with quality and value. You get real customer service, too. And unlike shopping online, you can actually see and try out the large inventory of office furniture in their showroom. And when it's delivered, it's not a box on your step. They're glad to install and set up everything. Office Mart. There's no other locally owned office store in the region. South Jefferson Avenue across from Hardee's. Shop local at Office Mart. Hello and welcome back to Local Matters. I'm Caroline Moore and today I am chatting with Executive Director of the Cookville Regional Charitable Foundation, John Bell. Hello. How long has the foundation existed? So really got off the ground in 2005 with Ernest and the first director was Gary Curto. Wonderful man, uh, just a happy guy for those who happen to know Gary. Just a, I'll say this nicely, but a big jolly guy. And uh, he, he could make you feel happy uh, just walking in the room. Um, people loved working with Gary. And he had a real passion for the region and a passion for helping people. Came from, I believe, California originally, uh, but came here and helped the foundation get off the ground and was with us for uh, just over 10 years, um, had a cancer diagnosis, and then stepped down. And they had an interim director for, uh, I guess, about two years. And then I came here in 2014. And when I came, Gary was still living. He was going through treatment, and he would come over and uh, and speak with me once a week after his treatment. So I got to know Gary um, fairly well and uh, just a really wonderful person and glad to continue that legacy a little bit. Where were you before this? My wife and I lived in Knoxville for 14 years and uh, working there at, a, I worked at Second Harvest Food Bank as their uh, development director for 10 years prior. So uh, doing a bit of the same thing as far as the fundraising goes, but uh, but raising money for food uh, for an 18 county area at a uh, at Second Harvest in Knoxville. It's a big area. Big area, big job. Wonderful group. Uh, big believer in what food banking is and what they do. And then uh, saw this opportunity at Cookville Regional and really just felt pulled uh, to come back home for for both me and my wife. But pulled towards this job and towards uh, the needs here. Um, the foundation touches so many different. Um, veins of patients, so to speak, um, uh, heart disease and, and, and cancer patients and their families, supporting both those and their families in particular, but, but also the hospice workers and the hospice providers who often go uh, kind of unseen. Um, they're not out in the, in the public image as much. And I, uh, my wife and I both had seen uh, what charity care can be at, at hospitals and the impact it can have on families. My wife lost uh, both her parents fairly early in life, and uh, uh, we lost uh, her father to uh, to lung cancer, which is a terrible thing to to witness uh, for anyone, but particularly as a young couple uh, who who were newly newly married. So, uh, I just kind of felt pulled. I said, you know, this is something I could do. This is something I can I could get behind and, and enjoy doing. I knew it would be hard work, and I knew it could be a, a bit emotionally exhausting at times to to do this. 
But um, I believe in the Upper Cumberland, and I believe we need a strong foundation. And, you know, uh, the medical field is complex and at best complex and very ugly yes. <laughs> at, at its worst. And the foundation really can help smooth some of that out. We can't make it perfect. We can't change the the national system or do any of those kind of huge big picture things, but we can help link local needs with local resources. That's something we can do. And uh, so I hope folks continue to support the foundation as a local um, mechanism for just helping families who are struggling, who are going through a medical crisis or a long-term overwhelming diagnosis. Did you always see yourself coming back to Cookville? You know, I did not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thrilled that we're back, but no, I I didn't see myself coming back to the Upper Cumberland and to to Cookville. Um, My children were about to start school. The timing was perfect. Everything, you know, just worked out the right way. Our house sold. Our kids were about to start school. And uh, I was feeling that pull that, uh, you know, I need to go. And I I never thought it would be back to here. I thought it'd be in Denver or maybe uh, New England somewhere. But but no, but this community is amazing. There's nowhere else on earth. It really is. Yeah, this is a good place to be. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be back. One of my friends, whenever I tell her about Cookville, she's always saying, this is like Pawnee from Parks and Recreation. It sounds like such a strong community. Were you always involved in community when you were growing up? Were you always attracted to fundraising, charity, philanthropy? Um, No, um, I was a fairly shy child. Maybe I'm a shy adult as well. But uh, no, I like to be in the background. Um, I was in Boy Scouts and band and those kind of things. Uh, Service-wise, I enjoyed doing some of that community outreach and community service and and doing that kind of thing, you know, uh, building homes with Habitat and uh, service projects for the Boy Scouts, et cetera. But uh, but no, fundraising and events and public speaking and all that, I was not my cup of tea. That that was a learned skill (laughs) that uh, I cut my teeth on at the food bank and have uh, hopefully done fairly well. the last 10 years here at the foundation as well. <laughs> I was about to say, how does a shy boy go from not enjoying public speaking at all to then yeah. asking people for money? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a challenge sometimes, but for me, it's about the mission. It's, it's the uh, responsibility and the, uh, the honor to tell the stories of, of what is happening and what those needs are and just try to link people um, so that those who are able to give, uh, even if it's $20, uh, can place that gift somewhere and feel good about it. You know, uh, you hear the horror stories about some of these nonprofits that, that just do crazy stuff with their money and overpaying their staff and this, that, and the other. And I don't want the foundation to ever be anything associated with that kind of uh, uh, behavior. So, uh, you know, I, I'm humbled to be a part of that process and, and to... Uh, try to play a role there. but And I suppose it's easier to speak on behalf of other people yes. rather than yourself. Yes. When, I, when, I, when I'm not talking about me, I can talk about it. So if it's about the mission or if it's about the programs or about the wonderful providers that we work with, I can talk about that all day long. <laughs> How do you fundraise? Yeah. Can you walk us through that process? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge. Uh, fundraising events 
do play a significant role. About 35% of our income comes from fundraising events. And we have basically one of those a month, every month, every month of the year. Uh, so 5k walks and uh, bicycle rides and golf tournaments and, um, you know, uh, uh, the pink gala, very formal dinner. We have this new event, uh, collaboration with a library, a murder mystery dinner. So there, there's something for everybody. Um, and that's a huge role because it, uh, it's, it's a community engagement activity as much as it is a fundraising activity just to keep us top of mind. And uh, a lot of those events will have a, a, a committee or a, a group of supporters that that's their thing. And they love that one event and that's what they do with us each year. But they may not do anything else with us except for that one event. And that's fine, but it keeps them engaged and keeps them plugged in. So whether it's the heart event or the gala or, or whatever, um, we have a group of supporters that support that one thing. And, and typically won't do a whole lot more with us. And then we write uh, grants, um, federal grants, state grants, and of course, regional grants, uh, specifically to support our programs and our patient assistance funds. And then we have a number of uh, one-on-one and uh, small group fundraising efforts uh, where I'm calling people or meeting with them and having <laughs> coffee and doing that kind of thing and, and asking them very politely, can you please give a little bit for this? <laughs> And, and laying out what the needs are and maybe some of the situations that uh, that some patients have recently gone through and, and why we need those gifts and what we're doing with the with the money that they're giving us. So, um, you know, everything from uh, literally $20 gifts to, you know, $10,000, $20,000 gifts. Um, we work on them all, and uh, they're all important. And uh, I feel like we've really made a success when we have, uh, you know, uh, maybe – 15, 20% of the population in the Upper Cumberland giving something to us, whether that's five or 10 bucks, that's fine. But when they know about us and they feel comfortable about us and they trust us enough to be giving us those small gifts, uh, that's when I know that we're where we need to be. More with John Bell right after the break. Hello and welcome back to Local Matters. I'm Caroline Moore and today I am chatting with Executive Director of the Cookville Regional Charitable Foundation, John Bell. Hello. John, can you walk us through a typical day at work for you? I I can try. There is no typical day at work for us. Every day is different. Every hour is different. Um, You know, we we try our best to plan out our schedules, uh, but a lot of times it's putting out fires and and making adjustments and uh, going where the need is. So uh, roughly half of our day will be focused on fundraising activities, whether that's planning for uh, our next event or our next two events, or it's make calls or going to meet with donors, uh, going to meet with committees or small groups, laying out the needs, what is happening with a particular fund like the heart fund or the pediatric fund or the cancer fund, and then asking uh, politely for some compassionate gifts to support that fund. Uh, but a lot of times it's uh, it's talking to the case managers or the referring provider, whether that's a physician or a nurse in their office or it's calling the school systems or it's, it's following up on some sort of request that may have been faxed to us or emailed to us overnight. Uh, so it's, uh, it's playing catch up a bit on, oh, we've got 15 more requests. We've got to do some digging on each of these. We've got to call these providers and get more info. We've got to make sure we've got all the bills that they're asking us to pay in front of us so that we can get those paid in a timely way. And then it's uh, paying those bills, <laughs> which is oftentimes more complex than just cutting a check. Uh, so it, there is no typical day. <laughs> we we may have patients coming to our office to pick up donated medical equipment, wheelchairs, walkers, bedside commodes. Uh, we may be scheduling pickup or some kind of donated equipment where somebody has a hospital bed or a, 
boxes and boxes of medical supplies or cleaning out a closet. They want to donate them. It's an interesting day every day at the foundation. <laughs> Stay on your toes. Yes. Do you enjoy that aspect of the job? Do you like? I do. Chaos? I, yes. <laughs> I think chaos is where we thrive. Uh, a little bit of pressure is good for us. It does keep us on our toes. But, you know, my office has a, a suit in it as well as a, a pair of jeans and some boots. So, you know, it's whatever the day requires. <laughs> How many people do you oversee? So we're very, very small staff. There's only three of us at the foundation. Wow. And so it says a lot about the nature of our relationships with other people that we get anything done uh, with it just being three of us. It's a really a collaborative effort. It's it's the providers reaching out to us with the information that they have and us responding as best we can to find the fund or the program that can help that that family or that patient with the situation that they're dealing with. Uh, so it is it is a collaborative effort between us and and literally about 400 providers across uh, across 14 counties. So it's a it's a big network. We work well with a lot of different people, and uh, I'm very very thankful that they're willing to do that and that they uh, uh, keep those avenues of communication open. And then on the flip side of that, on the fundraising side. It's not just us raising this money. We have wonderful volunteers, wonderful committees on all of our fundraising events. Um, Amanda and Sarah and I are the three staff members, but we could not do this alone. It, we can't. There's just no possible way we could do as many events, write as many grants, make as many one-on-one uh, -on -one requests, line these things up if we didn't have a good board. <laughs> and... Uh, a lot of volunteers serving on these committees. How do you decide which fundraisers you're going to do? Yeah, that's a hard one. We have a board of directors who oversees uh, kind of our schedule of event, events for the year. But a lot of times it's, uh, you know, it's taking a risk and trying something new sometimes. But if an event, you know, we'll try it for a year or two. And if an event just doesn't work well, we'll, we'll let it go and, and try something new. But the ones that stick that, that we keep have a committed core group of 10 to 15 volunteers who rally around it and make that their project. And so they will work on the, the event eight months out of the year. And uh, that's their baby, and they uh, they love mm -hmm. doing it. And we're grateful that they do because <laughs> it's the only way anything gets done. <laughs> Which events have been the most successful? Which do people seem to be fans of? Yeah, the CRMC Golf Classic is still our largest event. It's a two-day golf tournament. In the summer, dead of summer uh, so it's oftentimes really really hot but it's a full four flights every year people love this event it's a lot of fun i don't think there's any other golf tournament quite like it there's really good uh kind of participation prizes nice polo shirts and, uh, and other things that the golfers will go home with and there's fabulous food uh, we can't do an event without having good food so uh, and then there's always a couple games on the on the course that are unique to the tournament last few years we've had a uh, golf ball launcher on the course that's uh, almost like a potato gun, to be honest, uh, that you shoot a golf ball out of. Uh, very unique, um, but super fun. Uh, the other one that, um, really two, I guess, uh, the, the Pink Gala is very well attended every year in April for, for breast cancer. Um, all that goes to support free mammograms. And that's just a very elegant, wonderful uh, evening and a lot of fun dancing. Uh, once we turn the, the, the formality of the program over and we get the band out there and just have a lot of fun. And then the heart event is is very well attended every year, and that's uh, typically a fashion show event, has been for a number of years, and supports our heart fund, and it's the only uh, event that specifically supports the heart fund. And that one is just unique because the tickets sell out in like four days. People love that event, 
and it's just a Thursday evening kind of event with, for a few hours, a fashion show and good dinner, and then a message from our local cardiologists, and uh, it just sells out quickly. So we love that event. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for your money. Yes, thanks for coming. <laughs> uh, so this year we're taking a risk with a new event. It's a murder mystery-themed dinner on uh, actually October 22nd, coming up pretty quick. Uh, and this is in collaboration between the Imagination Library in Putnam County and our pediatric funds. So great causes, both of them. Uh, the foundation is actually fiduciary for the Putnam County Imagination Library as well. Uh, so we're splitting that down the middle between pediatrics and, uh, and the Imagination Library. If you don't know that program, that's, that's Dolly's program. And uh, she pays for half the books and uh, lines those up, goes and gets the, the deals done with whatever you know, a publicists and uh, authors that they're going to select that year. But then the local groups in each county have to raise the other half of the money that provides those books for free for families from uh, birth until age five. And in Putnam County and many of the counties in the Upper Cumberland, actually, most of the folks who sign up for that program do so at labor and delivery while they're in the hospital. Uh, so we sign those up at Cookville Regional. They leave with information about their uh, imagination library in their home counties and uh, for Putnam County, at least, uh, we help sponsor that program through things like this event. So we're hoping folks are interested in a murder mystery dinner on October 22nd. And, uh, of course, they can see more details on any of our events at cookvilleregionalcharity.org. And this is called Mingle and Mischief. It's going to be awesome. Just in time for spooky season. Yes. And we have great locals involved. Kathy Gilpatrick, an incredible director. And Chef Chad Combs. Yeah, it's going to be great food and really an entertaining evening. So uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And this is at the Putnam County Library. It is. And what other events are at the library? So a unique venue, great food. Uh, Kathy has done this from scratch. So it's it's our own program, uh, kind of theater program for the evening. Uh, so it will be unique unto us. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just one more thing that locals can do for community, because you mentioned yeah. there are so many people who are isolated. Sure. And I know that's not necessarily your thing to fix, but yeah. what are some ways that people in the community can keep tabs on each other and help people out, obviously by donating to your foundation, but just as something you can do that doesn't cost anything? Yeah, some simple things. Uh, a, lo- a lot of folks will have this in a closet or a garage. If you check it out, it's, you've probably got one you don't forgot is there. If you've got crutches or you've got a wheelchair or you've got a, um, a transfer bench or a shower chair or you know even large stuff like a hospital bed, any of that durable medical equipment, we would love to take it uh, because when insurance does not cover it and a patient does not have the financial means to purchase it on their own, we will give that away for free if we have it in our donated inventory. So if you've got something in your closet or your garage that's just sitting there collecting dust, please consider donating it to the foundation. After all your years with the foundation, what are you most proud of? Oh, goodness gracious. That's a hard one. There's so much. Um, you can name a few. <laughs> I'm very proud of, um, really, I'm just proud of our community for this, but uh I'm proud of the collaboration we have with so many different groups. I'm glad we're not trying to be the answer. I'm glad we're trying to be part of the answer. So um, I'm thrilled that we're not the only ones working like that in Putnam County. You know, the, the, everybody from the government to the school systems to the physicians' offices. <clears throat> a lot of our success 
would not work outside of the Upper Cumberland because people are willing to work together here. And you don't see that everywhere. You see a lot of uh, uh, resistance and uh, territorialism uh, in a lot of places. And we just don't have as much of that, thankfully, um, in the Upper Cumberland. So I'm, I'm very, very proud that our approach is a community approach, that it's a collaborative approach, that it's a, hey, we'll play a role, but we want to partner with you. Let's do this together. How can we, how can we, you know, how can we make this easier and stronger by working together? I'm thrilled with the program partnerships we have. Um, the Angel Garden program that's, uh, uh, we helped found maybe five, six years ago now uh, for families facing demise situations when they can't afford burial. I'm thrilled with Carmen's Fund uh, program, providing free CPR education to uh, four county school systems. We train every teacher and staff member that they have every year, give them free CPR certification. And we offer that for free to nonprofits. So we've got, uh, last time we looked, about 35 nonprofits to get free training um, every two years, I believe, through American Heart uh, because of that program. Um, gosh, the EpiPen program we have with uh, providing free EpiPens for, for school sports teams that are traveling away from the schools. You know, a lot of schools have those kits in the nurse's station, but it doesn't do you a lot of good if you're out running track or something. So Right. <laughs> So I'm most proud probably of just the collaborations that we have and uh, so many different groups are willing to work with us. Well, remind the people again where they can find the foundation and the calendar for all your events online. Yes, please go to cookvilleregionalcharity.org and uh, just read. Read a bit about the different programs, the patient assistance funds, how we help and how 100% of gifts are restricted. We don't take out anything for overhead or for staff expense. So when you give $50 to the cancer fund, all $50 goes to support those cancer patients. If you give $50 to Carmen's fund, all $50 will go to provide free CPR education to, uh, to area nonprofits and teachers. So I would be shocked if there wasn't a program or a fund you didn't just fall in love with. So please go to cookvilleregionalcharity.org. John, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And we'll see you next week on Local Matters.